friends, that is our hope, not anything in us, but Christ in us. And that's the message of Ephesians that we've been seeing week after week so far. You should find your copy of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to ask the question while you find it. How do we view other believers? What is our perspective on other followers of Christ? Do we see other believers as being there for us? Do we primarily look upon other believers as people there to make us feel good, to boost us, to help our image, to contribute to our needs, to serve us? Or, friends, do we see other believers as as us being there for them? Did God put us in their lives to build them up, to contribute to their needs, to encourage them and to serve them? Do we see other believers as being there for us, or do we see us as being there for them? Now, friends, we can give the correct church answer on that. Oh, of course, I am there for them. But what do our actions, what do our words show about what we really believe about community and about one another? So we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 this morning. We come to a text that forces us to look at that in our own hearts. But what we come to today is part of an idea that's been developing. So I want to make sure we understand where we are, because in Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 21 is one sentence. It's all one idea. And so for the context, if we go back to verse 18, you can look in your Bible or it'll be up on the screen, but where we started this one sentence about four weeks ago, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we were told this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There is a command for believers to be filled. And if you recall, being filled is different than being sealed. When we trust Christ, the moment we trust Christ, we are sealed with His promised Holy Spirit. Our salvation is secure because of Christ. Being filled, though, is something that we experience. It's something we can, we can be experienced one day. We may not experience it the next. It's something that we're commanded to pursue being filled, and this is different than being sealed in that. But if you recall from a few weeks ago in verse 18, this is a command that we cannot do ourselves. To be filled is passive. God has to do it for us. So how do we obey this command? We ask for it. We cannot make God fill us, but we ask Him to. We ask the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, to change us. And as we do that day by day, He does that and He changes us. Just that we saw the imagery of the wind and the sails pushing a boat along as the wind fills the sails. As the Holy Spirit fills us, He guides us. We saw the imagery of salt filling meat when it's, when it's being flavored and how the salt flavors the whole meat. And when the Holy Spirit fills us, He flavors us. He changes us. Now, how does the Holy Spirit change us? Verses 19, 20, and 21 answer that. Again, one long sentence, the command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And once we're filled, what happens? Well, three things happen that Paul tells us. Verse 19 was the first evidence that we're full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says, we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we overflow in song to God. We overflow in praising God for who He is and what He's done. We can't help it if we realize the grace of God. But if you recall, not only are we singing to God, we're also singing for the good of community. We're singing to one another as well, to encourage one another to see the grace of God. So when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we sing. The second thing that happens when we're full of the Holy Spirit is verse 20 that Preston preached for us two weeks ago. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, we become thankful. We begin to understand the greatness of God and His grace and what He's done for us. We especially become thankful for Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us. So no matter circumstantially what's happened, good times, bad times, easy times, hard times, we're able to give thanks when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's a third way in this one sentence here that Paul writes that shows what happens when we're full of the Holy Spirit. And that third way is what we're coming to this morning in verse number 21. And it has to do with how you and I as believers relate to one another. 
You may be thinking, wait, wait, hasn't Paul talked a lot about how we relate to one another? And the answer is yes, a lot of Ephesians is all about how we relate to one another. If you think back in chapter 2, we were told that God brings us together from diverse backgrounds to be one body. In chapter 3, Paul tells us that God is creating a unity between us, that unity is God's work and God is creating it. And then after telling us that God's bringing us together to be a body, that God is unifying us, in chapter 4, there are commands now of how we preserve that unity, that we're to pursue a spirit-given love for one another. We're to use our spiritual gifts to serve one another. We're to intentionally love one another. We're to speak the gospel to one another. We're to put off decaying speech that tears one another down. We're to put on speech that gives grace to one another. We're to forgive one another. And then in chapter 5, we're told we're to love one another in the same way God loves us. We're told to sing together to God and to one another. Over and over throughout this book, there's been all this talk all this teaching about how we're to relate. So it should really be no surprise when Paul talks about us being filled with the Holy Spirit. The culmination of this, the final thing he's going to say about what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit is going to be something related to how we relate to one another. So I want you to take a minute and look around the room. So stretch your necks, turn around, look at people around you, and get, get all the faces of people all around you. How are we to view one another. How are you to view everyone you are just looking at? Those you know well and those you hopefully get to know well, those you like and hopefully those you are going to learn to like, right? How, how, how do we learn to relate to one another? What happens when He, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, God Himself, fills the life of a believer, controlling, guiding, flavoring? What happens when the presence of God is in our lives? How does it change how we view one another? The answer is in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Now, now, friends, I need to confess that I approach this verse a little bit of trepidation because this verse has been, well, one, is rarely preached. And when it is preached, it's often abused. It's used by some on one end of a theological spectrum to try to discount everything Paul's going to say about family relationships that follow. Other people on another end of the spectrum use this verse to make it say more than it says to, to boost certain views. So basically you have people when this verse is preached, which is not often, who use the verse to boost whatever their view is of particular family roles. And so I want us to be careful in how we handle this text. And the guiding thing that I think will help us handle this text correctly this morning is understanding what I mentioned a minute ago. This is not a new sentence. The verse markings here just to help us find it. Verse 18 to 21 is a sentence. What we're looking at this morning is not even a sentence. There's no subject or verb in our, sentence, in our verse today. The subject and verb is way back in verse 18. The subject is you, plural, together. You, the people of God. What is the verb? It's the command to be filled. So you be filled is the, the main idea of the sentence. And what follows that are all these participles, all these phrases that describe the evidence of being filled. What happens when you're filled? Now, I mentioned those. We're thankful. We sing. And the third one today is how we relate to one another. So realize today... We're at the end of a sentence. This is not a new idea, introducing a new thought here. This is the culmination of a life filled with the Holy Spirit. So with that in view, let's look at what happens in our relationship to one another when we're full of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Now, verse 21 is our focus. I want us to also read verse 18 first because that has a subject and verb for our phrase today. So let's go back to verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. I'm thankful that your word is so powerful, that you're, you have given us your word and your grace to change us, to sanctify us, to show us who you are. 
And Lord, today I pray that you would open our eyes to your word, that your word would transform us. It would transform how we view one another, transform how we live together as a people in community together pursuing you. So Lord, have your way during this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what I want you to see from Ephesians 5.21 this morning is this idea. The Holy Spirit creates in us humility to serve one another. The Holy Spirit creates in us humility to serve one another. When the Holy Spirit, when He, the Holy Spirit, fills us, He changes us. He's sanctifying us. He's growing us. And He, as He fills us, He is changing us. And He's going to remove our default view, our default perspective, which is which people are there for us. And He's going to move us. He's going to give us a new view of one another, that we are there for others, that we are here to serve them. He's going to turn our focus from self to others. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, perhaps you can think of it this way. He's going to take us from pride to humility. From a proud position to a place of humility. But friends, the fact that the Holy Spirit has to create something in us, the fact that the Holy Spirit has to change us, means our default position, where we start off, is not humbly serving one another. Those of you who are parents, you don't have to, you never sit around and think, man, my kid is so humble and always serving one another. How do I help them be more like the rest of the world? We don't start off there because our default position is not humbly serving one another. Our default position is a place of selfishness, a place of pride. If you look back just a few pages, it'll also be on the screen. Galatians chapter 5 describes for us what our life is like apart from the Holy Spirit changing us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says to the people there in Galatia, this is a book written about the same time, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So with that said, friend, there's a battle within us over the Holy Spirit directing, controlling, guiding, and our flesh. Our flesh means our sinful tendencies, and they're fighting in a sense. And who are we going to be controlled by each day? Am I going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit's guidance? Am I going to be controlled by my fleshly, my sinful desires? If we're controlled by our sinful desires, which is where we all start off, what happens? Look down in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, in other words, the evidence of our flesh controlling us, our sinful nature controlling us. And the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Then verse 20, idolatry, sorcery. Now, look at how many of these next several ones deal with a relational strife. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And we'll just stop there. The verse goes on with other sins. But notice how much, if we're controlled by our selfishness, by our fleshly tendencies, by our sin nature, then there's going to be relational conflict. There's going to be division between people on that. That is, in fact, what we're told in the book of James, in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. So if James chapter 4, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now just pause there, friends. The you is written to believers. James is saying to believers, Why do you quarrel? Why do you have arguments? Why do you fight? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And then the next verse in verse 2 you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. There's relational conflict because we start off at a place of selfishness, a place of pride. And if there's a key word that describes what our life is apart from the Holy Spirit changing us, it's the word pride. What does it mean to be proud? What does it mean to have pride? When the Greek culture at the time, there was two different words that were used to express the idea of pride. One was it literally means to strain your neck. So pride at the time was straining your neck, holding your head up high. And I think you get the image of that. If you're holding your head up high, you're thinking 
highly of yourself. You have an elevated view of yourself and your abilities and your accomplishments and what you've done. You're straining your neck because you feel really good about who you are. But there's a second word in the Greek culture time for pride, and that was a word that described blindness. Literally to be enveloped in smoke where you can't see. If you think about the imagery of pride, it is that. We have a wrong view of God. We're blinded to who God is. We're blinded to our nature because we've elevated our view of self. And we're blinded to the nature of those around us because we're not serving them. We're all about us. And so what is someone who's full of pride? It's someone who sees himself as the master. Someone who sees himself and sees community as being there for them. A person who's proud sees himself as being superior and the community being there for them. I need to remind us how God views us because that view is what so much of American Christianity is. So many Christian books, so many Christian messages, so many Christian songs are about us being the master with everything else, even God being there to serve us. And so I want you to see how God views it. Still in James chapter 4, verse 6, really sobering verse of Scripture. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God's view of pride is he will actively oppose it, but he will give grace to the humble. And so, friends, the Holy Spirit takes us in our default starting position of being a place of selfishness and pride, looking at people, going, what can they do for me? And he begins to change us. In God's grace, he begins to reveal and convict us of our pride and give us a desire to put it off. Because we've seen throughout Ephesians, it's not enough to just get rid of a sin. If I just kill pride in my life, that's not holiness. If I just get rid of pride and selfishness, that's not pleasing to the Lord. He calls us to now put on Christ-like virtues. And so God gives us a desire as the Holy Spirit fills us, not just to get rid of pride in our life, but to put on humility, to put on a humble attitude, but not just an attitude, a humble attitude that will express itself in practically serving one another. And so He, the Holy Spirit, fills us, and as He fills our hearts with song and fills our hearts with thanksgiving. He fills our hearts in such a way that we begin to view one another, not from a place of pride, not from a place of seeing what everyone else can do for me, but from a place of humility to where we want to serve others. So go back to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning in verse 21. When we're full of the Spirit, what happens? Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you may be thinking, Grady, I don't see the word humility. I don't see the word serving there. Where are we getting this idea from that the Holy Spirit filling us leads to humility and service? Well, I'm getting it from this word, submit. The word gets misunderstood in a lot of ways today. But what does it mean to submit to one another? Well, the Greek word to submit was actually a military word. It was a word, hupotasso, that literally means to line up under. So it says to submit, it means line up under someone of a higher rank. So when a soldier lines up under the commanding officer, he is submitting. He's putting himself under the authority of one who has more authority than him. And so when you see the word submit, what you expect to follow it is some description of one with authority over you. To submit to, like a citizen would submit to the government. A child would submit to a parent. An employee would submit to their boss. But Paul doesn't do that here. He throws a little curveball into this force. He tells us to submit to who? What's the next phrase there? Submit to who? To submit to one another on that. What is he saying here? He's saying when you look at the community, when you look at the church, consider everyone else as having a higher rank than you. You line yourself up under them. In other words, he's saying put yourself in a place of humility, not you looking down on them going, what can they do for me? But you putting yourself under them, looking up to them going, what can I do for them. He's calling us to a position of humility in how we view 
Christian community. Now, what is humility, friends? Likewise, in the Greek culture at the time, there was two different words that got used to explain humility. One was a word that simply meant to serve. A humble person is serving. The second word that was used to describe humility at the time was a word for being gentle or meek. Gentleness. So serving gently is what humility really is all about at the time. Basically, someone who's humble is someone who sees themselves as a servant. Whereas a proud person sees themselves as a master with people there to serve them. A humble person sees himself as a servant who wants to serve others with gentleness. And this is, in fact, what I believe Paul's communicating because he says something very similar to the book to the people in Philippi in the book of Philippians. If you remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians were all written around the same time. They're letters to churches at the time to address different things he wanted to teach them. In Philippians chapter 2, I believe Paul kind of expounds of what he means for how we're to interact in community here. Philippians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen. You can go over about two pages in your copy of God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, now verse 2, complete my joy. Now this is fascinating. The Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to complete my joy. And what will, will complete his joy? He says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. What will give Paul, the Apostle, great joy is when the church is united, when the church is thinking the same, but particularly how is this manifest? What does it look like when they're thinking the same? Verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Paul's there, he's describing pride. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from conceit. But in, what's the next word? In what? In humility. He's commanding us here as the body of Christ to be united doing something, and that is in humility, counting, considering, ranking others more significant than yourselves. So what he's telling us to do is when we look at the Christian community, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God gives us grace to see people that we're called in humility to consider better than ourselves. We're to, again, the, the Greek word for submit, hupotasso, line up under. We're to line ourselves up under in the sense of looking upon the community as people that we're not seeking to serve us, that we are seeking to serve them. And friends, if we have that attitude, a humble attitude has to get expressed. It's not just an intangible idea. It's expressed in different ways. So look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, the next verse. If we consider others more significant than ourselves, if we rank them higher than us, what happens? Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. If we have a humble attitude, it will manifest itself in a gentle service to one another's. And that's what Paul also tells us in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I want you to see up on the screen as well. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so if we have a humble attitude, if the Holy Spirit has filled us and leads us to view people from a place of humility, then how that is manifest is we begin to try to love one another. We begin to outdo one another. And what that recognizes is, is I'm trying to serve you, you're trying to serve me. As you're trying to serve the person next to you, they're trying to serve you. And so the community is doing what it's supposed to do when we're trying to outdo one another in service and in love and in showing honor to one another. So with all that in view, go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. We're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be seeing the fruit of more and more submission, more and more looking out for others' interests. And just as the command to be filled is present tense, meaning you don't do it once and it's over with, but it's day by day by day by day, 
So is the fruit here, this participle, submitting its present tense. It means ongoing, that the ongoing fruit of the Christian life, the ongoing experience of a follower of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit is that we are ongoing submitting to one another. We are ongoing trying to serve one another from a place of humility. The question is why? Why is the, in a sense, the culmination of being filled with the Holy Spirit, humble servants, why is this so important? And it's because of what comes next. Look at the last phrase of verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Friends, the way we relate to one another is ultimately an act of worship. The way we relate to one another is ultimately an act of worship. So often we think of worship as the songs we sing, and that is definitely part of our worship to the Lord. What we sing is worshiping God as we're ascribing praise to Him. But friends, the way we pray, the way we study God's Word, the way we seek grace to walk in holiness, the way we relate to one another is all part of a lifestyle of worship. Worship is more than just the songs we sing. And so even the way we view one another from a place of humility is an act of worship, as it says in verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. Now, some of your translations may say out of fear for Christ. And so that's okay. The literal word here is fear, that we submit to one another. We consider others better than ourselves out of fear of Christ. Though that's literal at the time, that fear isn't what most of us think. When we think of fear, we think, oh no, God's going to strike me if I don't do this. We think of, oh no, that person may hurt me. That's not the type of fear communicated here. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, fear when it relates to God is often used of, of reverent awe, a respect for who God is. And so here, that's why your translations may say out of reverence, out of worship for Christ, out of fear for Christ, a holy fear, a holy respect for who he is. So friends, how is us submitting to one another? How is us serving one another really an act of worship? I think it's an act of worship in three ways. Why the way we relate in community worships God, I think it happens because of three things. First of all, friends, when we obey God, we are worshiping him. Obedience by God's grace is an act of worship. John chapter 14, verse 15. I want you to see that up on the screen. In John chapter 14, Jesus told us this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If we love him, if we want to worship him, one of the fruits of that is a desire in our hearts for obedience to him. And so, friends, when we seek grace, not in our own strength, when we seek his grace to obey, we're saying, Lord, your standards are what's right, and I want to worship you with my lifestyle here. And what is one of his commands? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that we looked at just a minute ago. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, we were commanded, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count, consider, rank others more significant than yourselves. When we seek grace to do what we could not do in our own strength, to kill our pride through the Holy Spirit, and to put on humility and serve one another, we are worshiping God by seeking to love Him through our obedience. So when we obey, we are worshiping But second of all, friends, when we seek to follow Christ's example, we are worshiping. When we seek to follow the example of Christ, we are worshiping. When we try to do what Christ did, when we try to imitate things he's called us to imitate, we are saying that he is the standard. We are saying that he is the one who is most noble. He is the one who is excellent. And what he did is is glorious, and we want to follow it by his grace. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we looked at this some weeks ago. We were told, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Not to become beloved children, but because he's made us children, we're now called to imitate him. Then verse 2, and walk in love, and notice the next word, as Christ loved us. Our example for how we love is not something we made up, is not even someone else that we know. Our example is Christ himself. We are called to imitate Christ. We're called to love the way that Christ loved us. How did he love us? 
There it says in verse 2, He gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so, friends, when we seek to follow Christ's example, we are worshiping Him. We are holding Him up as being the most desirous thing. We're holding Him up as the one whose standard is perfect and seeking to imitate that. We are worshiping Him. And so when we come to the kids, the commands of Philippians chapter 2, we just looked at, to imitate Christ, to serve one another, we're ultimately imitating Him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Notice what it says after it commands us to basically to serve one another. We're told this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But notice verse 7 here of what He says. But He made Himself nothing. This is Christ Himself. This is the second person of the triune God. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then in verse 8. And being found in human form, he, what's the next word? What did Christ do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, our example is Christ. And so when we seek to look to Christ and go, by God's grace, I want to imitate what Christ did in humbling myself for the good of his church. We are worshiping him because we are doing what he himself showed us to do. So, friends, when we seek to serve one another, we're worshiping because we're obeying. We're worshiping because we're imitating Christ. But third, and I think this is so important here, friends, when we're serving one another, we're building up the church. And when we build up the church, we're worshiping because we're building up something that God loves. When we join God in his work for his church, then we're doing something as an act of worship. God is passionate about how we relate because God is passionate about the church. God is passionate about how we relate because he's passionate about the church. Think back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. I know this was some months ago, so let me refresh our memory of this. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. In Him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We remind us the church is not a building. The church is not a campus here. The church is the people. So 3300 Bell Road is not the church. This building is not the church. We, the people, are the church, and we join with believers all across the world, and we are the church, and we just happen to gather here. The church is the place where various people meet together, where God's presence is manifest, where he shows his glory to the, to the world. And God is committed to building up his church, to building us together, to being a dwelling place for him by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working to build the church together. And friends, when we in humility begin to serve one another, it builds the church up. And when we join God in his work of building up the church, then we are worshiping him because we're saying, God, we value what you value. Friends, the Holy Spirit, when he fills us, creates in us humility to serve one another to worship God. When that raises the question, how do I know if I really am humbly serving other people? Because friends, the reality is there's pride in every single one of our lives. There's pride in my life and there's pride in your life. Pride lurks in dark places and hidden corners of our hearts and our souls. It is all through our lives. And it's more prevalent than most of us realize. The hard thing with pride is it's easy to see in everybody else, right? It's easy to be like, man, that person's proud. That person's proud. That was a proud response. But friends, it's so hard to see it in our own hearts. All of us struggle to different degrees with being blinded by pride in our lives. How do we know if we're viewing others from a place of pride or humility? Well, this week as I was studying, I was really helped. There is a book that we have in the Resource Center. It is actually featured on the back of your bulletin. It's called From Pride to Humility 
by Stuart Scott. I'd highly commend it to you. It's like 30 pages. You can read it in an hour after dinner. But it's incredibly helpful because he lists manifestations. He lists evidences of pride in our lives and evidences of humility in our lives. And I want to share a few of those with you just as we ask the Holy Spirit, as he fills us to show us pride in our lives. One thing the Holy Spirit does is, is he fills us as he begins to convict us of sin in our lives. He begins to show us things that perhaps we were blind to before. So what are some manifestations of pride in our lives? These are from Stuart Scott. One manifestation of pride is we have a lack of gratitude. And when was the last time we went out of our way to thank someone for what they've done? When was the last time we thanked God for all he's done for us? Another manifestation of pride is anger outburst to others. Friends, when was the last time we raised our voice to our spouse, to our kids, to a loved one, to a friend, to a co-worker? Another manifestation of pride is seeing ourselves as better than others, having a smugness. Other manifestations of pride are we have inflated view of our importance or our gifts. Do we ever feel indispensable to things? Other manifestations include talking too much, talking too much about ourselves, always having to be in control, not letting others be in control, being hurtful or degrading, not serving others, not being compassionate, not admitting when we're wrong, not asking for forgiveness. Friends, when was the last time we went to someone and said, I sinned against you, would you forgive me? Voicing opinions when we haven't been asked for them. Maximizing other people's shortcomings while minimizing our own. Being impatient with others. Seeking attention, even in the way we talk about our problems. All these can be manifestations of pride. It says that the epitome, though, of all these is not having close relationships. Because we're full of pride. We may have a lot of surface acquaintances and friendships, but it's hard to go deep with people. Friends, are there areas of pride in our life that the Holy Spirit needs to shine His light into? But friends, on the flip side of that, Stuart Scott in that book, Pride to Humility, says there's manifestations of humility. What are the evidences that God is creating in us humility? That he's taking us from that place of pride where we see ourselves as a master to a place of humility where we see ourselves as servants. Here's a few he lists. Biblical praying and a lot of it. Our lives marked by biblical praying and a lot of it. Being thankful. Being gentle. Being patient. Seeing ourselves as no better than others. Being a good listener. Talking about others only if it is good or if it is for their good. Catch that one again. Talking about others only if it is good or for their good. Having a teachable spirit. Serving. Seeking to build up other people with our words. Quickly admitting when we are wrong. Quickly asking people for forgiveness when we sinned, about, sinned against them. Minimizing other people's sins and their shortcomings while dealing with our own sins and shortcomings being genuinely glad for others, and having close, deep relationships. He says they're all evidences that God is working within us, humility to serve one another. Friends, as we think about a life of humility like that, as we think about the command of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled, and the evidence of being filled as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we realize how quickly we cannot manufacture that. Friends, there is no amount of white-knuckle determination you and I can have to cause us to become, go from being proud to being humble. We all deal with pride, but we're not going to become humble by trying harder. The only hope for us to see our pride put off and humility come is, again, Ephesians 5, 18. Be filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we begin to, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
But as we desire and ask for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, He answers us. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us. He begins to expose that pride. He begins to convict us of it. He begins to give us a desire to change. He begins to show us how to view others. He begins to nudge us to opportunities to serve others. He begins to open our eyes to those opportunities. And then He empowers us to serve. There's nothing in this process that is our own strength. It's His conviction of, our, of showing us our sin. It's Him causing us to feel conviction of sin. It's Him exposing it. It is Him nudging us to want to change. It is Him showing us what humility looks like. It is Him giving us the desire for ability. It is Him showing us opportunities to express humility towards other people. It is Him then empowering us to step out and to serve and to open our mouths to say the words that need to be said. It's all His work. Therefore, our command is not try harder. Our command is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, God loves you and I so much. And God loves His church so much. And God loves His glory being seen so much that He gives us His Holy Spirit to create in us humility that will lead us in community to begin to serve one another. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for Your Word when it encourages us. And God, we're thankful for Your Word when it convicts us and challenges us. And God, we're thankful that You love us so much. You've given us the Holy Spirit to fill us. Nothing that we can do on our own, but all your grace and your work. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that in my life and the life of these precious brothers and sisters, that this week you would give us a deeper feeling than perhaps we've experienced in a long time. God, this week, not because of anything we deserve, we don't, but out of your grace, God, I pray that this week you would fill each one of us who know you with your Holy Spirit in such a deep, real way that, God, our hearts overflow with song. We find ourselves being thankful, even on the hard days, for evidence of your grace all around. And God, that we find ways to more intentionally serve one another. Father, pride is so deceitful. Lord, it's it's in all of our lives in different manifestations. So Lord, in your kindness to us this week, would you show us areas of pride in our hearts we need to repent of? Not to bring us to a point of being crushed, but out of your love for us to, to show us areas that displease you. God, it's so sober when we realize your word says you oppose the proud. And Lord, we don't want you to have to oppose us because of pride in our hearts. So in your grace to us this week, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would he this week open our eyes to areas of pride in our lives that we've not repented of? And I pray this week we will find much grace to repent of those proud thoughts, those proud attitudes, those proud words, those proud things we've done. To be quick to repent and quick to find a desire in our heart from you to look upon other believers as people you have sovereignly put in our lives to serve. Maybe we're supposed to serve them this week with something tangible or practical. Perhaps we serve them with our prayers this week. Perhaps we serve them with encouraging words. Perhaps we need, need to, we serve them by going to them saying, I've sinned against you, would you forgive me? Father, I don't know what each of the situations are going to be in each of our lives, but God, you do. So God, we ask this week for grace upon grace upon grace to do what we can never do in our own strength. And that is repent of pride in our lives and put on humility, put on a submission to one another because we revere you, because we worship you, because we fear you, the Almighty One, the Creator, who's called us to be His own. God, give us grace for this this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing, Jesus, thank you, as we recognize everything we have has come from Christ.